Welcome back in to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Bubble. With me is, once again, Steve Cook, uh, back to discuss uh, our favorite uh, documentary series going on right now, uh, Dark Side of the Ring. And we're also going to discuss the WWE uh, on A&E biographies, which continue uh, with the most recent one being uh, Shawn Michaels. And uh, now that I have finally caught up to all these, I know Steve has been uh, watching them pretty regularly uh, as they've happened, but I have finally gotten caught up. But Steve, we're also going to dive into uh, the ultra violence of Nick Gage, which was the uh, most recent Dark Side of the Ring uh, episode. Um, again, as we did on the last podcast, I'll just ask you a pretty straight up question uh, to start with. Uh, what did you think of the uh, Nick Gage episode? Well, if you don't know about the Nick Gage story, it's it's a very interesting one. Um, to say the least Nick, Nick Gage has had a very interesting career he's had a he's had a lot of ups and downs to to certainly say the least and it's interesting because I know I know there are some people out there who really didn't want to give it a chance because there's a certain segment of the population out there that doesn't have much use for deathmatch wrestling and I can understand why I know there's a lot of negatives about negatives surrounding the whole scene but to me I've always kind of thought of, of pro wrestling as being one big open tent. And especially if you're going to uh, welcome zombies into your life, you might as well welcome <laughs> deathmatch wrestlers into your life as well. So uh, it's a story that I know pretty well because I'm, I, I'm, I'm not like a regular CZW watcher, but I did watch a lot of CZW later on, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like there's a lot of, I watched a lot of shows in later years. I'll just, I'll say that without talking about how I got my hands on those shows. But, uh, <laughs> so I, I've seen a lot of Nick Cage and I've, you know, followed his career a bit and we know, we know how he went away for a while and then he came back and they went to great detail and all that. But the story, the, the thing about the show overall, and I, I enjoy the show overall. It's, you know, it's about a guy who went through some pretty bad shit. But he's come out the other side, and so far he's doing okay, which I think is a nice story. And we'll have to wait and see where that goes. But it's interesting because, you know, a few years back, I don't think you, you go back a few years, I don't think anybody thinks that Nick Gage would be one of the most talked about people in indie, indie wrestling. And he is that. I mean, he's he's a top draw in the, in the indies. And when we get, you know, regular shows back again, the, he'll be a big part of that because I've he had an injury, but I've I think he's back on the most recent GCW shows and all that. So, you know, the guy still got a lot in front of him. Yeah, I thought that the the start and the finish were the two. Th- like, this is, you know, if you're going to do a documentary, I think those are always, you know, a very important part of sort of how do you start it, how do you finish it. And one of the things that I, I kind of looked at was like, all right, I thought they did an awesome job, like, with the intro, because, like, you're immediately, like you said, if you're someone, let's say you you've never seen nick gage wrestle like you have no idea you've heard this guy is you know this guy who does all these crazy death matches and everything and you have no idea and you're just casually turning to the channel to say let's see what this is all about well like they immediately just give you all this footage like you immediately are introduced to him with like within the first minute and you're seeing all of these you know him bleeding out and all this other stuff and so i thought they did a really good job with that and then you know we're obviously going to talk about a lot of the stuff in the middle but like at the end with him you know, basically saying, hey, I'm going to probably die young. Like, I just sort of know, like, given everything I've been through, like, everything going on, and, like, it's just, like, that full circle type thing. Like you said, this guy has come out on the other side, but just I thought that was pretty glaring, too, just sort of with his overall thoughts on where he's at at this point. 
Um, so I thought they did a really good job with that because again, I think those are, those are always two hard things to nail when you do like something like with a documentary or even anything like creatively, it's just, how do you start and how do you finish? And, um, I thought they sort of tied everything together. And like I said, I know we'll get to the stuff in the middle, but, um, I really thought that they, they, they pretty much encapsulated everything sort of with the intro and the ending to it. You notice that they didn't have as many talking heads on this show as they do for right, most yeah. of these shows. You did not hear the contributions of Jim Jim Ross or Jim Cornette or Dave Meltzer. <laughs> they were not they were nowhere to be seen on this show because uh, they couldn't tell you a whole lot about Nick Gage. But you did have I, I you know Gage spoke very well for himself. He's he has Gage has a certain charisma about him, which is kind of strange. And uh, you know people really liked that about him. And his girlfriend was on there, Sandra. And then you had the GCW premier Brett Lauderdale, and of course everybody's favorite uh, hardcore legend, everybody's favorite, uh, you know, crazy wrestler John Moxley was on there, and he and Gage have quite the history, and he had some. I thought he had some illuminating things to say as well. I thought it was smart to kind of start, you know, with the Moxley thing and going back to, you know, him cutting him with the the pizza cutter and, and all that stuff, and I, I really like, like you said, there was not a lot of people like commenting on this, like it was, and I, I thought that was important too was like they mainly turned the focus here to which you know you can't do with all these like because unfortunately some of these people have passed away a lot some of the subjects that you're doing these um you know documentaries on are no longer with us and so when you have that opportunity you know to do that with a story like this because it is different because this guy is seemingly gone from the really really dark side to coming out on the other side for now um, I think it's important, you know, just to, to make him front and center. And I thought they did a really good job with that. They didn't rely on all the talking heads, like you said, uh, where you have to do that in some of these situations, just given the circumstances. But, um, you know, starting with Moxley, that adds, you know, an element to it to where obviously there are a lot of John Moxley fans out there, whether WWE, AEW, it doesn't matter. Um, but I just thought it was really, you know, to add that touch early on was important too. And like you said, you just go through all the different things and, you know, basically starting with the, the tournament of death stuff and, and explaining what that is. And, you know, Brett Lauderdale is recalling the, the match, you know, with, with Thumbtack Jack and all this. And I think just, you know, that to me is probably of all the stuff in it, aside from the David Arquette stuff, which I know we'll get into. Um, but just the actual, having the video footage of what happened in that match, like with him, you know, bleeding out and like he's in back there and he's looking into the camera and uh basically saying hey just tape it up i'm I'm headed back out he was like, going back to the <laughs> ring damn it like that that's one of the things like they said early on too was like well his intestines were coming out you know he's like i'm going back damn it <laughs> i don't remember who said it but one of those was it moxley or maybe it was gage i don't know but it was like you're never going to accuse these dudes of doing this for the money. And that was certainly, it wasn't going to get any more real than that with that footage of that, that tournament of death match with him back there saying, ah, just tape up my intestines. I'll, I'll head back out there and finish this thing. Such a weird scene. They did this tournament of death, of course, out in the middle of nowhere in Delaware. I believe that's a DJ Heights, uh, uh, parents yard is where they do that. Basically. Yeah. I, I remember correctly. That's, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Markland. That's where they have their tournament <laughs> of death every year. And, uh, <laughs> apparently it's way far out in the middle of nowhere so they had to get the helicopter come in and take him out and a uh, pretty scary situation for gage and you know with stuff like that and with the you know with various stuff you can kind of they did a good job of showing how things were going wrong for nick how he was heading down that road you know the issues with his brother which uh i, I recall that famous match uh where where him and justice pan of course his brother him they had this match and they kind of always had a testy relationship anyway. 
And uh, Nick admits on the show that he was a little bit messed up going into the match. So Justice Payne not having any of it, just drops him on his head, ends the match in like five minutes. Which leads to a whole different thing where they they didn't cover any of this on the show because it didn't really affect Nick, obviously. But, uh, you know, everybody's favorite uh, NXT referee now, uh, Drake Works, that right. guy. Everybody's favorite guy nowadays. <laughs> yeah, after the uh, Justice Payne Nick Age match, uh, Zandig decides to send him out. Send, he sends Drake out there to wrestle Justice Payne and attempt to save the show. And uh, it wound up being like uh, something that kind of catapulted uh, Drake into stardom there in, in CZW. So, in a way, Nick Page getting screwed up uh, gave us Drake Wirtz in WWE. What a. Uh, we've, we've so uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, so there you go. There you go. We we can blame Nick Gage now for uh, the existence of Drake Works. <laughs> what a strange world uh, <laughs> wrestling is, and like you said, there's the um, a lot of connections that you don't ever really put together until you really dive into it. But um, yeah, I mean, you talk about like the helicopter thing. What was it they said that he? Had, well, I guess it's the the famous story. Like he had flatlined for seven minutes on the in the helicopter um after that that tournament he was, death. He was zombie nick gage i'm telling you yeah i mean like you said he could have been that he could have been on, on uh backlash yeah for wrestlemania backlash that is yes. um not not backlash <laughs> traditional because that doesn't exist uh anymore but uh yeah i mean like just just nuts like this whole story and you brought up like and and the brother thing i mean i've i don't even know and we brought up like that's one of the things too like gage was talking about how you know his brother jumps off the bridge um, after the cops are chasing him and all that. And then he adds in the element, like again, which, you know, for me, I mean, I didn't realize this and I'm sure a lot of people watching had no idea if you just talk about like location, but he's like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, the bridge is right behind my house. So like, you know, every, when I walk out like that's, I just have to basically stare at that. And it's like, my goodness. Right. Like Like, you you think about it, like unbelievable, (laughs) man, this guy just, I think he got moved, don't you? Yeah, like, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, you think about all this stuff this guy's been through. And and that's one of those things, too, where it's like, you just think about everything he's been to just to that point. Like, that's the, you know, that's the last part of this documentary is going into that. And it's like he's sitting there and it's sort of just, you can tell it, it, it affects him. But it's almost like after everything this guy's been through, like, you know, having to walk out the, the behind his house and like see the bridge that his brother, you know, jumped off of and, and died on. It's like, my goodness, like this guy, it's just one thing after another, it seemed like. But you know what? Again, like this guy is just sort of, I don't know, he, he is one of those figures. And, and it's like you said earlier, you talk about the connection and all that stuff like he has with the fans. And he's going into like in the documentary, he's talking about getting all the fan mail. Um, and, you know, even Moxley, you know, saying that, that Vince would kill to have someone like Nick Gage who can connect with the fans. And then I'm just thinking, uh, like, I, I disagree. I don't, I think don't agree with that either. Like that. No, I, I think I that's sort of percent. <laughs> Vince is not one guys like that. No, I, I think that, um, you know, again, Moxley probably worded it, could, could have worded it a little bit better, I think, overall and how he said that. But um, like, I'm just thinking, I'm like, that is wrestling, though. Like when you think about a guy like this who draws that kind of passion and sort of connection from fans like that's that's a big part of of just the entire professional wrestling realm whether you're talking about you know regular traditional wrestling or like deathmatch wrestling and it's just like you think about all that he's like the connection he's built with all these people it's just it's incredible to think about that 
Uh, the thing about, of course, his brother Justice Payne. Uh, we talked, you know, we mentioned earlier where he had the match with the Nick. But uh, if you go back to the early days of CZW, they both broke in there, obviously. And Justice Payne was always he was the older brother, and Nick kind of grew up in his shadow there in uh, CZW. As Andy kind of saw Justice Payne as the big star, and for part of his career, at least Justice Payne had the better physique. He was uh, he had a good store bought physique going for him. Um, <laughs> there might have been some wellness policy issues there going on. I'm not sure, but uh, the guy had a good body, is what I'm getting at. And he was on top of it CCW for a long time. And then once he started fading away, is when Nick kind of started started to break out. But then also by that point, Nick had already uh, fallen deep into his issues brought about by various deathmatch wrestling and uh, the things he was doing to himself. And uh, there was some, uh, a little bit of drug usage going on there, just just a little bit. But yeah, Justice, and then Justice Payne fades away and he goes, he's, you figure, I think most of us figure like he just kind of moved on and it seemed like he was kind of the normal one, I guess. But then no, he's the one that ends up going crazy in the end. Yeah. Well, and you just think too, like, you know, Gage talked about like losing his mom to cancer and basically how he just didn't care after that. And um, you know, he had, even before that, like he had gotten hooked on the the painkillers and the drugs and all this other stuff. And um, it's just like, again, like we go back to like we're talking about all these different things that have happened to this guy at, at various points. And it's it is incredible to think that, like we, we said in the beginning, somehow, at least for right now, like this guy has come out in a spot that you probably would have never imagined for him to be in at this point in his life, just based on every single thing that has seemingly happened in all these various points throughout that have been, you know, like we said, in, in some cases, very tragic situations. Um, other cases, you know, of his own doing with some of the stuff. Um, it's just like, I don't even know. Like, like I just, that, that just blows my mind as you watch this entire hours. Like, how is this guy sitting in front of this camera right now talking? Like, how is that even possible? Just based on some of the stuff that he's been through and um, just, just everything in between. It's just unreal. And, you know, people and and people talk about Gage and people like that. And they and you wonder, like, oh, well, the, you know, the guy robbed a bank. How can you support a guy like that who does he was addicted to drugs and robs banks and things like that? But I think the reason Gage does get support is because he's upfront about it. Uh, Gage, yeah. did, you know, he didn't make any excuses. He came out and he said what he did. And he's uh, he did went to jail, did his time and he's. He's, he, I guess the phrase that kind of cliche is, you know, he paid his debt to society, but he pretty much did pay his debt to society. Yeah. Well, and I was just watching um, the Booker T, like Booker T, what, robbed the Wendy's 26 times, I think, or whatever it was. 26 like, Wendy's, like, like, my God. But yeah, the same deal. Booker T paid, he went to jail and both Gage and Booker went to jail and they came out better on their side for experience. Uh, Booker, uh, educated himself and got into good shape. And Gage got into uh, he's great. Gage pretty much trained for the first time in his life. Pretty much yeah. what happened there. Yeah. Well, that was a big part of it too. Was like talking about the um, you know, the the bank robbery and everything. And and we we talked about that on the previous episode. And we were kind of giving our thoughts on what we would expect. But the the Moxley comment on him, you know, wearing the always having his face covered when he goes out to the ring with him when he robs a bank, you know, he does it without a mask. And um, I'll tell you one thing that, that really stood out to this whole, whole thing. If if you're going to be Nick Gage and have all this stuff happen and have all these issues at times throughout your entire life and career, um, 
you want Sandra with you because she, I mean, she's ride or die. That's that's exactly what I put down in my notes. I'm like, that is the only phrase to describe this. Um, she is ride or die, and that's it. Um, she, I mean, she said it. it was one of the things she was talking about. You know, uh, she was talking about her concerns. You know, when he got lit on fire and um, all that stuff. But then, you know, she basically just goes into it like. I'm going to be there for him no matter what. Uh, I'm going to, I don't care what he does, what he's doing. Like I'm there for him. And I'm just like, respect, like, wow. Like that's um, probably not easy to do when you think about sort of the, no. the lifestyle that, that he's had. So. No, that's a tough thing. And uh, you know, you got to give similar credit in that vein to uh, Brett Lauderdale, a guy who yeah. started out as a referee with CZW and uh, worked his way up the ranks. And uh, was Nick pretty much the only guy in that scene that kind of stuck by Nick Gates through thick or thin. Like a lot of other CCW guys, like even even Justice Payne had one nothing to do with Nick Gage when Nick Gage was going to jail and all that. But uh, Lauderdale is pretty much the one guy who stuck by Nick Gage throughout throughout everything. And, you know, Gage took advantage of that trust sometimes, too. But uh, Lauderdale is just there for the guy. And, you know, we say a lot of the bad things about wrestling promoters. Uh, and a lot of wrestling promoters are kind of they can be kind of shady at times, if you will. But, you know, judging from what he, he's been with Nick Gage, I mean. Brett Lauderdale might be one guy that's actually a, uh, a fine, reputable uh, wrestling promoter, even if he does death, death matches, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, where would he be without those two people, right? Without the, the girlfriend and without Brett Lauderdale. Like, there's there's no telling, like, how this would have ended up at this point. And I, I had to, you know, chuckle when Lauderdale's retelling the story of, um, you know, he's like, he calls Gage or whatever, and he's like, hey, you know, when, when are you going to turn yourself in? And finally Gage calls him. Um, and then he's like, well, what did you do after that? And it's like, well, you know, took him to Burger King, got a Whopper. <laughs> um, he had a drink and a smoke and then he turned himself in. I'm like, I'm just like, what would I like in that situation? I don't think I'd probably just be sitting back, you know, relaxed and probably grabbing a Whopper. Um, but it's just, it's the way Lauderdale told the story. I was just like, my goodness. Um, but you know, that was the guy's mindset and, Clearly, Nick yeah, Gage, Gage. Is, you know, I mean, that's his mindset, right? He doesn't fear anything. Gage is just going to spend go to Atlantic City and spend all that money, and then he's going to go to jail. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was the plan there, apparently. That was the extent of the plan, it seemed like, uh, at that point. And then, uh, and, and, you know, th then things really go into the David Arquette portion, which I'm sure, you know, even if you're not, um, you know, someone who watched a lot of Nick Gage matches in the past or even knew anything about, you know, sort of the history there or anything, you've heard about the David Arquette thing. And I think that the fact that they had Arquette on here, like that was another thing. And that's what I got to, you know, <laughs> dark side of the ring, man, you, you have got, they, I'm not saying they're perfect, but like they understand the value of telling the entire story and trying to do it from every angle possible. Um, and so I think the fact that they got Arquette for this, like, that's another one. It's just like, that's surprising. That's, <laughs> it is like, it is. It was very, I was like, wait a second. Like they're actually got this guy and, to give his side of the story and to even like have, you know, the TMZ footage after like all that stuff um, that just adds another element to this kind of stuff. And I mean, that was just what a wild story that was like with Arquette. And like, when you see him, uh, you know, cut, cut his neck and all this other stuff. And <laughs> Gage is like, I just, I kept thinking about this. And I was like, I'm trying not to laugh because none of this stuff's funny, but it's the way Gage says this stuff. Like it's just his personality um, where he's like, Oh, you know, I've been through enough matches. I could tell it's, you know, just some blood spewing out. Like it, I could tell it wasn't an artery or anything. So it's not funny, but it's still kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what I, I did. I caught myself. I'm like, wait a second. Should I be laughing at this? But I'm like, 
it is just the way Gage tells it. It's like, yeah, and he didn't die. So no, that's that's what he said. He's like, oh, I knew he was okay. Like I, I'd seen guys before. I, I realized, you know, it's just a little blood spewing out, but it wasn't like an artery or anything. <laughs> just like holy shit. Um, so that that was quite a quite a quite a story there with Arquette. There's a, I mean, you know, there's a. <laughs> oh man, it's a, it's, it's, there's a thin line there between bravery and stupidity, and David Arquette was somewhere on that line there. I, I'm not sure which way, which side it is there. I mean, I guess you, I guess you didn't know a lot about Nick Gage going into it, but at the same time, it's like you kind of had to expect that something like that was going to happen. Well, and I mean, certainly anybody who, if you asked, uh, if you asked any wrestling, you know, pseudo expert out there who heard that there's going to be a match between Nick Gage and David Arquette. Yeah, I think they all have said, yeah, something like that is going to happen. He could have <laughs> asked anyone, right? Like, literally yeah. anyone before. And like you said, I, I almost looked at that and I was like, but but you know, one of the things that, that Arquette said that I, I was like, I guess it sort of makes sense. And although he probably didn't realize to this extent what he was getting himself into, like, you still feel that like Arquette and, and I think they did a good job with this because I think it's something that I've thought about before, but I, once they actually put him on there speaking of it, you're like, Oh yeah, well I guess I could see that. Like he's basically talking about how everyone just turned on him, you know, when he won the WCW title and uh-huh. like he's he sort of, you could tell in his voice, like he just had that edge where he's like, I'm pissed off that these people were so mad at me for winning this title. And he's like, I want to prove them wrong. And I feel like that's been such a big part of his, you know, I don't even know if resurgence is the word, but there's you know, uh, the impetus you know. for his whole comeback pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was always kind of BS too, to be honest with you. David Arquette didn't deserve the heat for all that. Right. That was, you know, that was a bad, that was a dumb idea from bad creative, you know, <laughs> and maybe David Arquette could have said no or whatever, but no, that, he was he was there for pay, for the payday to help promote the movie. He's going to do whatever they asked him to, and he uh, he donated the money that he made off of it to uh, wrestlers uh, dead wrestler families. Yeah, I just I thought that was you know. So he never deserved any heat for that in my book. That's just you know that, that's just that's lame. Yeah, it, it's it, a bad it, idea. It's a right. terrible, horrible, atrocious uh, booking idea. Sure, but uh, don't blame David Arquette. Good lord. No, it, it did. It, it felt like it fueled his his comeback, like to to that level. And and I don't know. I just I keep thinking. I'm like, did he really not have any idea of what he was gonna find? No, I mean, like it Could wasn't just in the Google machine or a YouTube <laughs> video or something, man. Like, but but still, even if you don't even know who Nick Gage is, it's like you're wrestling in a death match. Like you've got to have some idea of what that is. Like if if I'm just someone on the street. And someone walks up to me and says, you're wrestling in a death match. My first question is going to be, okay, hold on a second. Um, what does that mean? Like, what is a death match? Because I, I can understand if you just want me to have a match, but like a death match, that sounds a little extreme. So they're in death. That's not good. And let's be, and let, also let's be honest. If it wasn't Nick Gage in this death match, any wrestler in a death match with David Arquette is going to try to pull something. Yeah. That's true. It could have been any 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 deathmatch wrestler you want to throw in there. It wasn't just because Nick Gage is Nick Gage. Uh, pretty much, you can throw anybody like Necro Butcher or any of the Danny Havoc or any of the guys you want to throw in there. There have been something similar to that that would have happened because they know how much how many eyeballs are going to be on them for just. I mean, I think that's a big like you know, and it's like you know you're going to get some publicity out of something like yep. that and and you know you're going to have more eyeballs on you than probably ever before because you're wrestling a you know a celebrity and 
yeah, like I, I, I completely agree with that. Like, you know, you'll get over with the wrestling fans too yep. because most of them hate David Arquette. So no matter what you do, people do, they'll probably support you. Yep, that's a good point too. Like, there's <laughs> that is a very good point. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably something that a lot of people didn't think about, but uh, that that is that's a great point uh, on that. Uh, I mean, I guess you know, overall in the decade, like I said, I thought it was really well done. Um, I you know am not someone that is actively over the years you know sought out. Um, Nick Gage matches or, or death matches and such, but like you know, I'm probably like most people. If there's something that I hear or something that catches my eye, I'm like, all right, well, I need to check this out or that out. Um, but you know, but there are like there, and when you saw it in this, like again, you go back to the he's talking about getting all this fan mail in jail and yeah, just, like the crowds, right? Like that's just I don't know. Like that is something that I don't think you can sort of for him. I mean, the, I, the more I think about it, it's like that's what drives him at this point, like to do everything that he does. Like he realizes, you know, that is what we talk about with all of wrestling. It's like that crowd. And of course we've had that conversation over the past year or so, just based on the situation and everything. But like, I can only imagine for someone like that, the drive and, and what you get out of just like realizing like you have created, you know, this, I mean, like monster is not the right word, but it's sort of like you have created this following and connection to where, if you're going to put yourself through this hell like every single match, it's like, you better have someone out there that cares. And my God, he's, he's got people that care. So. Well, you know, back when GCW had that collective uh, weekend back in Indianapolis back last year and, uh, you know, right in the middle of COVID and there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on and all the eyeballs were on it. And of course, the one time that, uh, Everybody was noticing that everybody's getting together without masks was during the Nick Cage entrance. <laughs> right. Because they all wanted to run up and, Slap high fives that guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I just think that it was, I thought that this was going to be one where, again, I'm sure there are people who didn't love it because there's probably people who just are not going to pay any attention or care anything about this sort of style of wrestling or anything like that. But he is such an interesting figure, I think, just in terms of certainly his entire story. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But just... I also think like what he has done just for certainly that type of wrestling as well, but just the connection with the fans, I think is just something that, man, it is, um, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible just to sort of think about that connection that's been built there. And, um, like you said, for him to, to be out on the other side at this point, uh, it's probably the biggest, um, you know, accomplishment more than anything, uh, just based on everything that's happened in his life. But, you know, I don't know if Steve saw this, course this is not necessarily documentary specific but um you know they, they're obviously setting up something where he wants to have the match with moxley but uh, he also said in an interview that uh with someone i'm trying to remember who it was but um he said he wanted he wanted a death match with none other than kenny omega do, do you see mm. a nick gage versus kenny omega death match happening anytime in the future well it depends if uh i, I i'm not sure if gage is currently the C, the gcw heavyweight champion <laughs> but we know that Kenny Omega is a man that's out there to collect belts. He, wants he is the belt collector. So what if, in fact, Kenny Omega was to make uh, make an appearance for GCW, take on Nick Gage for that championship? I mean, it's not completely out of out of the equation. <laughs> and let's be honest, if you've if you've noticed uh, the type of people that uh, Tony Khan likes to bring in, there are a lot of people from that uh, 2000s era. You know, late 2000s CZW uh, that you'll see tooling around AEW because, you know, a lot of people like the Ring of Honor, but let's face it, Tony Khan was a CZW guy. Yeah. That's what he was watching. He was all about the death matches and all that ultra violent stuff. <laughs> and he would 
he would love to bring in Nick Gage. I have no doubt, no doubt in my mind that Tony Khan would be all about bringing in Nick Gage if they could make that happen. Yeah, that's a good point. And it was actually, he had the interview with Ron Funches. And that's one of the things he talked about was AEW's, um, you know, exploding barbed wire death match. And that's when he mentioned he wanted a match with Omega. He had uh, basically said, well, that, you know, AEW's death match uh, didn't go very well. And um, he didn't really like the match and all that. But again, comparing. I mean, you could you could plop Gage right in that. I mean, I know it's Moxley versus Gage right now. But you could plop him in that group with uh, Gage, Moxley, and Kingston. That makes sense. Yeah, and I they had the I think they had didn't they have some of the footage of Kingston in the in the Dark Side episode I I think I saw him in there. He was uh, in there, yeah, yeah. He was in there. He's in what is part of the Deathmatch stuff. He was. Yeah. Eddie was a part of that scene too. I mean that and that's not all Eddie is known for, but he had he had his t- a time in tour in CW where he did some stuff. Yeah. So I don't know, like you said, it's some people probably are like, why are they you know spending this much time on this match? It's never going to happen. But the more I think about it, I'm like. I don't know. We are in such a a weird time in wrestling right now, where it's like can't rule it out. You can't cannot <laughs> no. cannot rule it out. No, I'd like I'd like to see it. That that would be something. Hey, could you imagine? Oh, <laughs> and then of course we'd have to we get to listen to Jim Cornette's viewpoint on it. Oh, oh my would goodness. that be great? Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, uh, you can only I don't know if if that happens. Oh, I get excited just thinking about it. Oh, that'd be that'd be great. Well, Cornette loves deathmatch wrestling, of course. But I don't blame Jim either, because let's be honest, Jim Cornette's hatred for deathmatch wrestling going goes back to uh, Ian Rotten, yeah. IWA Mid-South, pretty much killing wrestling in Kentucky. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, Mid-South pretty much killed, uh, you know, they got wrestling kicked out of all the uh, National Guard armories and venues. And, you know, Cornette tries to try to do business in Kentucky. So I don't blame Jim for being hot at this, guys. Well, let's just let's just say this now. If this match happens... We are gonna we're gonna have to like live podcast this thing or something because I think it would be an absolute spectacle um, if that ever. I get Jim Cornette on the horn too. How about that? Let's see if we can get the Cornette on <laughs> uh, to think be our guest commentator. We can we can do our own like alternate commentary like they used to do on the uh, the WWE DVDs and everything. So um, that that could be interesting. So um, but yes, that was the uh, Nick Gage episode of Dark Side of the Ring coming up. Uh, next, uh, we are going to have the collision in Korea, which will be uh, this Thursday's episode. That's going to be a fun one, Steve. I, I sort of said that on the last episode, but that is a story that, you know, Bischoff's talked about it on his podcast. And, and you know, someone who listens to the podcast every week, the 83 weeks uh, with Conrad Thompson, I that's probably one of the episodes is probably one of my favorites of Bischoff's um, just because I think there's some insight in there that I never really knew about with this whole collision in Korea thing. But the more you you look back at the story and and obviously there's a lot out there you can find on it, but what a unique situation uh, that was. So I'm interested to see who all they have. I mean, certainly I know they'll have Bischoff for that one. Uh, I'm interested to see who else kind of is. I believe I saw Too Cold Scorpio in the commercial, which is always nice to hear from Too Cold. Right. And possibly Scott Flash Norton as well. He's all he's also a good gentleman. So because Scorpio uh, opened that show, I think, against Benoit. I want to say that was the opening match. Um it might, I, I, I don't remember. I remember up. Flair versus Noki was on it. Yeah. That's about the extent of my I don't think I ever actually saw the show. Yeah. I don't think I've seen the full show either. Um I will say that if you search for it, it is available <laughs> somewhere on the, the internet. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, it was just, man, I don't know. That was something. I remember Muhammad Ali was there as well. And I remember Ric Flair uh, mentioning in his book about how <laughs> him and Ali were like standing there and they were talking to the North Korean guy and 
there a North Korean guy is doing something. Ali's all of a sudden like, no wonder we hate these motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, like that's. <laughs> I mean, again, it's uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a wild one. I have no doubt. Actually, I think. Let's see. I'm trying to look this up now because it's going to bug me. But I feel like that. Yeah. So it wasn't the opening match. So it was day day two. Scorpio and Benoit, who who was I guess billed as Wild Pegasus, um, in that. But um, yeah, that was that was for one reason. Some reason that's one of the things I remember. But like you said, the the Anoki uh, Flare one is the one that that headlined the day two. Um, and I'm sure I'm very interested to see the uh, the crowd reported there was whatever it was like 100. And, 65,000, I think, over the two days. Um, but uh, I want to say his report is more, I think his report is like 190,000 or something for like one day. But you know, his report, I'm sure his report is one thing, and who knows what was actually going on there. Actually, no, you're right. I think that's, I, I've had my, my numbers mixed up, but yes, it was for like a one day. So each, like one like day. Was, yeah, I was going to say, so each, that was the numbers I think that were. So if I remember correctly, there's, I, I believe that audience was not exactly, uh, you know, uh, all wrestling fans that were seeking, uh, you know, their professional wrestling. I believe those were people that were ordered to be there. Yeah, those stories. <laughs> I, I can only imagine some of the stories that are going to be told in this thing. So, um, if you've never heard of Collision of Korea, which I'm sure most people listening to this, or if you don't necessarily know the backstory behind it all, it is a fascinating uh, one. And I'm sure there's going to be stuff that come, you know, come out in this episode that I didn't necessarily know, even with some of the stuff that's been discussed by Bischoff and others. But um, that's going to be one I'm very intrigued by just based on um, the story uh, with that one. But uh, just like we did on the last episode, uh, we will also cover here quickly one of the uh, WWE A&E biographies. And luckily, Steve, this one a little bit, um, you know, I thought this was certainly better than the one we, we talked about last time, which was just the brutal. Uh, it wasn't a hit job. No. <laughs> just... I mean, and and let's be honest. I mean, we we know Shawn Michaels is a favorite friend of uh, Triple H and the yeah. McMahon family. And the, they didn't shy away from Shawn's problems either. They they no. could, they pretty much delved into uh, Shawn's issues of drugs and the stuff he got into in the late 90s. They, they weren't hiding anything here. So I, I will say that. They it was they weren't whitewashing anything. It was they they showed Sean's warts. Yeah, well they they showed a lot of um a lot of stuff, uh, including um you know drugs and like they they did not back away from any of that. And and I thought that was overall. I mean I I really enjoyed the Roddy Piper one. Um, you know, going back and watching that one, I think that was one just you know Piper's story. I think it's always been a, a fascinating one, but. I thought this one probably from start to finish was the best one they've done thus far, which, you know, again, you've had what four to choose from five to choose from, (laughs) um, you know, not a ton, but, um, this, this one felt like to me, even though, and I know you mentioned this before we started recording, but there, there certainly is, if you're someone like us who knows the story in and out and you've seen all the documentaries, you know, you've everything over the years, like you pretty much know the stories of, of all the matches, you know, the backstory behind Sean and everything, but I think they captured it in a way that, like you said, had they have hidden all the stuff about, you know, him on the, the, the painkillers and the, you know, doing the, the cocaine and him and Janetti are just out doing God knows what, um, at who knows what time in the morning in Vegas and all this other stuff. Um, had they tried to hide all that stuff, you'd have been like, okay, come on. Like, but they didn't like, they went into all of it. Um, and I thought that was at least, you know, based on some of the hidden stuff that we've seen elsewhere, um, and could see in some of the upcoming ones, 
I thought it was really well done uh, from that aspect. And, you know, Janetti, I mean, boy, we talk about guys. That <laughs> Poor bastard. <laughs> just like Janetti, they, and, and I wrote this in my notes, like, they clearly understood. Look, I mean, Janetti embraced it, right? Like, he was, he was clearly centered here as the the party animal drug guy who you know they didn't necessarily say that Janetti's the one that got Sean into all this but like they he was the focus in that majority that portion of this this documentary so uh, that poor that poor guy you almost feel bad for the guy he's he certainly has ups and downs over the years and you know he but you know, like they said in the documentary as well, that's that happens to most great tag teams where one guy ends up being the better the better singles guy, and oh, Mario Janay there kind of got tossed aside. It was it was bound to happen. I don't know. Even as even as a six year old fan at the time when I was watching, you know, the rock, it was bound to happen. You can kind of tell, especially '92 when they broke up, and you could tell they had plans for Sean, and they didn't have anything for Marty. Yeah. They, he just didn't. There was not a lot of direction there, and you just knew that Sean was. When you're like a six or seven year old, you can tell that. Well, okay, they got something <laughs> for Sean, but they have nothing for. Him. When you're like seven years old, you can tell that. That's it's pretty obvious, right? Yeah, Marty's on Wrestling Challenge for Superstars or something. Um, you know, doing. Marty doesn't even have new music. Yeah. You know, he's still doing the rocker thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Sean's the one that's gonna be doing stuff. Yeah. Um, Sean, Sean became the guy. I think it's safe to say, uh, for sure. But I, I mean, they did it. I mean, look, I guess we'll say it though. Like Janetti, even being in this is probably, you know, that that's a highlight for Janetti. There's no doubt just based on, um, certainly Sean Gamma payday. Yeah. I mean, that's good for him, uh, because we've, we've seen the stories over the past however long now with Janetti and, um, just, uh, yeah, he can use it and he can use all paydays and get, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, boy, that's an interesting story. Like you said, you think about how different things could have, could have went. Um, if, you know, Sean's, if it's on the opposite side or it's just, boy, it's one of those big, what ifs that you look back and like, my goodness, um, who knows what happens there. But, you know, we laughed about it on the previous episode. They did not spend a ton of time on the Montreal screw job, which I very much appreciated. And and I'm not gonna lie, we talked about another laugh I got. Like I know Vince in some of these is just basically he hasn't really said a whole lot of substance, I think. Uh but Vince basically just saying Brett knocked the hell out of him. I'm always gonna laugh at that. Just the, the way which he is said funny, it. which is funny because uh <laughs> because I've seen a, you know, if you go back many years, Vince tried to underplay it first, like how yeah. he got knocked he tried to underplay it. Like there I remember one interview he did where he claimed that uh he actually got hurt by tripping over like gerald briscoe's yes, ankle yes but no now he admits that brett knocked the hell out of him <laughs> and, and and god bless brett hart because we know brett hart's been through a lot of things and i've never blamed brett for being bitter about any of it but i i'm i'm so happy he's gotten to the point where you can tell that he is just so happy whenever he talks about knocking out best band oh yeah yeah, that is that is she is just so happy whenever he gets to talk about that. Yeah. He he had a smirk on his face and I, I thought again, that's that's the first time I've seen Vince like do it in that manner where he was basically smirking too. He's like, Yeah, Brett knocked the hell out of me. Um I I appreciated that. And I mean again, there's certainly a lot you can say about Vince, but I did appreciate that part of it. Um, you know, one of the lines I think that stood out in this was what you know, Triple H said that what Michaels had told him that after WrestleMania 10, you know, if he would have just, I guess it was, you know, overdosed on pills or something, uh, he would have been remembered as a legend. 
Um, if he just would have did that. Like, <laughs> oh wow! Like, yeah, what that a was, line, right? I heard. I had not. Heard, I don't remember hearing that one before. I, that one. I had to write that down. I'm like, I have never heard this before. Um, so that is one that I was like, wow. Uh, you think about that, and it's just like, my goodness. Like he was. He certainly had his issues. I mean, we know that. That's been well. And documented. he comes back in 2002 and has a. He has like a basically a second career. Yeah, like that's that's how it went, and I mean, it's just. You know, I mean, this is a guy that we talk about it. There have been so many situations like this. And, you know, we talk about dark side of the ring. And I mean, like, that's a that's a story that could still be on there. Could have, you know, been on there, had it gone the wrong way. But like, there are a lot of guys who don't necessarily find their way out of those type of situations. But, um, you know, obviously, Sean went into it, you know, basically talking about, you know, finding his faith, his wife, like everyone that sort of helped him uh, get through that. And, And he had another comment that I thought was very interesting, too. And um, you know, just, I guess, as, you know, creative people as we are, but, like, he, he said something along the lines of, like, he didn't feel like he could have, like, reached the level that he reached, like, creatively, and I guess just in the ring and different type of stuff, like, without the issues that he had. So, I mean, that is something, too, like, I guess to go through everything he had went through to that point and, like, sort of still to to get to that level, um, you know, it's just such an interesting dynamic too. And I always think about this when they do these documentaries anytime on these legends and guys who went through, you know, the eighties and the nineties and, um, you know, certainly even the early two thousands and such, but it's like that schedule, man, it is just un like, I can't even fathom. Like if you're someone like that and you're dealing with all these issues, having to go through that schedule, it's just, I don't know how some of these guys do it. And I don't know how some of them didn't wind up in much worse shape than maybe they have been just based on the schedule that they had. And some of them did wind up in much worse shape. I remember, I remember back when on the Pillman dark side documentary where they talked about how he worked like what, 11 days in a row or something yeah. like leading up to his death there. It's just, uh, that was the schedule back then. That's just, they went everywhere. They, you know, spraying the good word of uh, professional wrestling, if you will, just all over the place. And it's, I don't know if we'll ever see a touring schedule like that again, to be honest with you. I don't think so either. Uh, that's what I was thinking is like, it's going to be interesting to see what everyone does, which I know AEW's you know, jumping back into. It seems like WWE will be jumping back around the same time in July, but it's like... Yeah, it seems like everybody's doing going back to fans. You got, uh, you know, AEW's going back to fans and WWE and uh, ROH going to have their show yeah. and MLW doing their... And it's all kind of in that uh, early July time frame. You'll, you'll see all these people going back to having fans. Yeah, it's like, but how do you, I don't know, which, uh, you know, this discussion we can have probably in another episode, but it's... That's a different podcast. I think it's a different podcast for a different website. Right, but, like, it ties into, like, this, like we said, like, the stuff with the touring, though. It's like, I can't even imagine, like, when you watch stuff like this and you're thinking, like, if you're a performer, if you're someone, and, like, you watch some of this and you know you've already kind of been through this grind before, it's like, after this past year, like, how do you, how could you possibly go back to a schedule like that. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's business, right? And if, if it works and it's going to make money, I have no doubt that they will consider, you know, going back to a schedule um, like that. And that grind is just back to where it was. But um, I don't know this, this Sean, one I, I thought was, again, not a lot in there that you didn't already know, but I also thought it was pretty well done. And I think it's cool to see like him and NXT doing that kind of stuff. I'm glad they, they tied in some of that because it does kind of offer that long, I guess, you know, sort of like the long play where it's like, okay, this is where this guy started. You look at him now, he's back there getting all giddy over a spot in a five-way ladder match at NXT takeover. It's like, 
that's pretty cool. Even though this is a guy that had his fair share of problems and, and was to be blamed for a lot of some of those problems. Um, he was not the easiest guy to work with or be around, I'm sure, as you heard from Triple H and others. Um, so I thought it was pretty cool just to see that aspect of him in NXT now and seemingly living his life in a, a much, much better way. Yeah, and him and Triple H almost look like the same guy now, too. That's <laughs> true. It's very it's very strange how they both have the whole the whole beard and bald thing going. It's uh I mean if they went back and be, uh, became a tag team again, they could do the fabulous one switch. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Um Kevin Kevin Nash is in this too. I every time I see Kevin Nash in any of these, it's like that is the most laid back dude ever. Like this guy just yes. like he just doesn't like he doesn't care. He just he is so laid back and relaxed and he just he says anything and I just, I don't know. Kevin Nash is one of those where it's like... Well, they said Nash was the smartest guy in pro wrestling for a reason. Yeah. Well. And, uh, you know, and sometimes you don't really... You know, sometimes people get a reputation for being smart in pro wrestling. And it's not you're not really sure whether they deserve it. Like a cough, Glenn Jacobs cough. But uh, <laughs> Kevin Nash is a guy who comes off like the, one of the smartest guys in wrestling. Yeah. He... I know people maybe think back to the WCW stuff and the the booking and just all that but i don't know that guy there's a there's a documentary like there's a a deep dive into someone like that and you know if that guy ever comes out with a like a a book or something i'm gonna read that one because i feel like he's got Mm -hmm. a a pretty uh crazy story too and just i don't know i feel like there's there's so much more in there you want to (laughs) to get out um of, of his mind but probably some stuff you don't want to get out either so um, not unlike uh, anything else, but, um, so that was that one. Shawn Michaels, uh, was the most recent one and coming up next, Steve, you know, it's the one we've been waiting for, uh, the <laughs> ultimate warrior. Oh is, my gosh. Um, that's, that's going to, it's going to be interesting to see which direction they go with that one. I mean, we've seen some whitewashings and we've seen some not so whitewashings, but, uh, which way are they going to go with the warrior this time? I don't know. Your, I mean, is this going to be worse or better than the Savage one in terms of the hit, hit job? Well, there you see. The thing is, there you did the. I don't think they can top the self destruction of the Warrior. Yeah. Because I, think, I so. think that particular documentary is probably the worst they could do. Yeah. I, I don't I, think they can top that. I would agree. I don't think that's going to be one they can top. And and I think they kind of teased it in one of the it was a commercial or something that teased the episode, but. They're going to go into some of that. Are they going to ask Vince about that? That would be, you know, if you have Vince as a talking head, that's another one of those things I would ask Vince about. I, I want the Vince thing is interesting to me. Like, I don't, they've had Vince for all of this, but I don't know that there's really anything to me that's like stood out aside from, like I said, with the Brett thing and laughing about him knocking him out. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very curious how deep maybe he gets into some of these subjects, but he really hasn't, I don't know, he hasn't said a whole lot that really stands out, I guess, thus far. But, um, but again, Vince is what seventy five now, and yeah, that's the unfortunate part. Is there, I mean, you kind of wonder as with the years advance how much Vince can say that. You know, yeah, we might have missed the prime opportunity for Vince McMahon shoot interview. Yeah, that's true. Um, he, yeah, boy, I, if if you got Vince on hinge now, I can only imagine what come out of his mouth um, with some of this stuff, but. Which could be, I mean, which could could be good. I mean, we, yeah. we've seen some unhinged documentaries do well before. Some unhinged shooter interviews. I mean, let's be honest, New Jack was a master at the unhinged shooter interview. That's true. New Jack, who uh, unfortunately, since our last podcast, how about uh, that segue? Yeah, yeah that's uh, yeah. New Jack passing away. Um, you know, certainly, you know, go back. There was the Dark Side of the Ring episode on him last season, and 
man, um, there's a guy. You talk about a very similar, uh, very similar in tone to the kind of the uh, Nick Gage yep, uh, documentary for this. Yep. Uh, kind of, he's kind of Nick Gage of last season, and you know, you can only hope if you watch the uh, Dark Side New Jack episode, you know what I'm talking about. You can only hope they died while he's in a wheelchair doing coke. Yep, because that that's how he wanted to go out. That's what he said. Um, <laughs> that was a. There's so many memorable lines, but like that is always one that's like sticks out. It's like, man, New Jack, he was another one. He was, um, you know, certainly thoughts are, are with his family. He was, he was a different, different cat. Um, he lived his life, that's for sure. He and did. Uh, he was one of those guys who he did not even bother offering fake apologies because he never felt sorry for anything he ever did. No, he <laughs> he was he stuck to um, his guns to say the least. Um, that is that is for sure, but. Um, oh, I was also thinking, we just talked about Vince, you know, what do you think that, and this is, again, we'll get into this eventually, but what do you think this Vince, um, Netflix, um, bio series or whatever it's going to, what do you think that's going to look like? Like that's, I am so fascinated by that. Um, I have no idea what to expect from it. I, I think it's going to be completely hundred percent bullshit. <laughs> I think it's a I'm pretty sorry. high percentage. I, I just, I mean, and I, I'll watch it too, of course, because I watch anything. I any kind of wrestling documentary stuff I'll watch, but I'm sure there's going to be it's going to be complete uh, whitewash. You know, hundred percent Vince was the uh, great alpha mega man of all time, and uh, you know, anybody who thought otherwise is fake news. And <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be stuff that you know the people like Meltzer near historians will start tearing their hair out. Is what's going to happen there. Well, just the one thing to always keep in mind, um, the headlines when the Vince McMahon Netflix documentary news came out specifically stated, produced by WWE. So yeah. there is the, and Bill Simmons, by the way. Who we you know, know, oh yeah, Bill Simmons, yeah, him too. There's another one. <laughs> so you know what you're getting there. Yes. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised, but, but uh, it'll be, you know what? I mean, all you can really ask for is some interesting talking head stuff. I mean, you know, as long as we get some funny stuff, some if we get some as long as we're entertained honestly yeah we i don't expect anything truthful no <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> funny um yeah we I'm, I'm sure our podcast on that we'll have we'll have a lot of fun with that one i think there'll be plenty of material uh to work with but there you go there are some thoughts on the most recent episode of dark side of the ring with nick gage and the a&e biography on Shawn Michaels, uh, Steve and I will uh, plan to uh, do another one uh, next week. As as we said, there will be Collision in Korea on Dark Side of the Ring and um, the Ultimate Warrior. On, it would have uh, fit with Ultimate Warrior fitting well in North Korea. Actually, yes, that's there you go. <laughs> what a what a segue that was. Him, him and Kim Jong Un um, have gone along very well. Wow, I'm sure. what a segue <laughs> uh, that that was right there. But uh, yes, so that will be our plan. And actually, I guess is the schedule still set to where. The Ultimate Warrior Dark Side is going to be ne- the following week. Is that I want to say? I think so. Yeah. Well, if that stays the same, we may actually we may think of something to where we can maybe tie those all in together. We yeah, you just, might. Well, we might want. Yeah, we might want to do the Warrior stuff together. Yeah. So we we may just kind of tie in Collision of Korea in that episode somewhere, but we we may just mainly focus on the Warrior stuff. On Unless the, the 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 demand might be just for Warrior every week. Just to <laughs> keep talking about the Ultimate Warrior. Maybe we should um, keep running that topic in the ground. Maybe we should um, start. Oh, who is a better wrestler, Ultimate Warrior or Luthez? Go, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a that, that's a discussion right there. Um, so there you go. That's that's kind of our our plans 
uh, for the the documentaries uh, here moving forward. But uh, Steve, before we wrap up, I know you and I are um, talking here. We're recording this on Tuesday night, and uh, we talked about in the last episode of the podcast that you put together uh, a great column on uh, the late, great Larry Zonka, and uh, it is now up over on the site uh, at 411mania. Um, so let everybody know where they can uh, find all that, uh, what you what you did with that, and uh, anything else you have coming up over there. Yeah, and it, it was, uh, I thought it was a fitting, to, yeah, it, it was good, and I think uh, the people enjoyed it. And I hear that Larry's GoFundMe got some extra donations today, which is great. So always good to keep doing that, and we'll keep linking that whenever we can. Uh, definitely because Larry's all had a huge effect on everybody here at 411mania.com. He was the backbone of the site for many, many years. And the further we keep going on into the future, uh, like I said, I try I try every time to try to live up to Larry's standards. And I don't think I do it very often, but I try. It's all about the effort, quite honestly. And, uh, and I think everybody else here at 411, who quite frankly does a, do a much better job living up to the standards. I know uh, Blake's come on board. And Blake's done a great job this past year. And he's he's picked up some of the stuff that Larry would have done back in the past. And I think Blake... Uh, he, he he does a good job. I'm putting him over. I'm trying to put you <laughs> over here, so kid. It's all right, but I know I know Blake does a good job, and you know Tony Acero does great stuff with Raw. Ian Hamilton, I want to give a shout out to Ian because he's kind of picked up kind of the torch for for Larry as far as doing some of the uh, some of the lesser known shows, some of those indie shows that you know Larry would review some of the lower the smaller shows, and I know he'd be happy that Ian's kind of keeping that going for 411 because. I thought kind of what that might have gone away, but he has picked that up. So shout out to him and to everybody at 411, keeping it going. And that's what we'll keep trying to do for Larry Zonka. Yeah, well, I appreciate the kind words. But like you said, I, one, of the, one of the comments on the, the article you had on the site was, you know, and someone put it as, I couldn't put it as eloquently as they did, but it's like they, they were right. And they was like, you know, it, it it's basically you have different people covering different things now because there is no one like Larry. Like we, you know, not everyone can do everything that he did, just the ultimate uh, workhorse in terms of everything that he did. And, and like you said, just, um, I know a lot of people um, at the site and, you know, us included are, are doing our best to continue uh, the tradition along here. And uh, yeah, so hopefully uh, everyone reads that column. Like you said, a lot of great feedback on it. And uh, I think it brought back a lot of memories uh, for people, and I'm sure lots of people uh, going back and checking out um, the the previous columns uh, from players, even the ones that, that weren't mentioned. Like you said, you can only you can only add so many in a top. There seven, only, but... <laughs> I have seven spots on that damn go- right? on that damn countdown. Yeah. But I'll be honest, uh, I'll ask you, like, do you think Larry might have also kind of thought that these uh, AEW Dark and Dark Elevation shows were a little too long? <laughs> I do believe you, that. You think Larry might have been kind of like, come on now, guys, let's shorten up a little bit. I think um, he would probably, <laughs> you know, with me, I try to I try to stay optimistic uh, for people who read the regular uh, AEW Dark reviews that I do every week. Um, I, I've tried to stay optimistic with all this, but uh, as Steve and I talked about, uh, I can't say I'm probably going to be too necessarily upset uh, once the, the live touring begins uh, again, because I don't think they'll be doing... Um, you know, between dark and dark elevation, probably, you know, 30 something matches combined uh, with those two. I, I understand the value of it. It's great for those who need experience. 
Um, but I, I do think it's um, it's it, like Lawrence of Arabia every week here. Yeah, if <laughs> if if I had to be the one to, to review both shows back to back, like we said, and you know, Larry was someone who would watch everything. Um, Larry would have had to do that. Exactly, that's what he I was gonna been, say. He, he would have been doing it. it. Yes. Um, I don't. Uh, that, again, that's one of the reasons why I am. I will never be as good as he was because I just don't think I could do it. Um. So yes. Yeah, so hopefully that format uh, gets worked out. A little bit better in the future there for uh, the AW Dark shows. But uh, yes, check out the column, 41mania.com. You can find it in our column section, uh, Steve's column on Larry. And uh, as he said, the GoFundMe uh, still active. We will put that in the uh, show notes of this episode as we do for all the episodes. Uh, so be sure to continue to share and donate if you can. Uh, everything else, 41mania.com. We actually, as Steve and I are recording here, we just had our our Wednesday column go up on uh, the WWE releases. We did a big round table with some of the writers on the site, uh, given uh, our favorite landing spots, potentially for uh, the big uh, WWE releases that happened about a month ago. Now, uh, Samoa Joe, uh, Billy Kay, Peyton Royce, all of those. Uh, we've got thoughts on that in there. So check that out on the site, 41mania.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, any podcast app you use. You can find it there. And, uh, yeah, thanks, as always, uh, for listening to the podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. <laughs>